When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Engel. Die Dickens. Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts Lost and Found. This is round number eight. We are tackling the year 1983. This is the year that this group here, Bill Federko, Derek Brain, Rich Eyre, Chris Nashawadi, and myself, Thomas Golbich, entered high school. So this is the beginning of our high school experience and probably a, a good example of where we started to really become obsessed with music. Hope you'll enjoy the show. This is Deep Cuts Lost and Found, round eight. So again, this is a group of best friends. We all went to high school together and we are sharing sort of deep cut tracks. These are not the obvious songs, not the hits. Songs from some of our favorite records, from our favorite artists, and we're going to be sharing them with you. This week, again, the year is 1983. We're going to close out the show at the end with a vote for our favorite discovery. None of us can vote for our own songs, only for each other's songs. And uh, again, tonight, I have Bill Federko, Derek Brain, Rich Air, Chris Nashawadi, and myself. Let's talk a little bit about the year 1983. I know from all of the correspondence through our texts that this was a tough one, and it seems like everybody was kind of uh, horse trading and uh, and commiserating and having a hard time choosing. Uh, what is unique about 1983? Why was this such a tricky year for everybody? So damn much music. So, you know, it was like one of those years where it was, I think, the first year that we've come across that, it was really just an embarrassment of riches. You know, I mean, you could have come up with a list of 20 songs and still felt bad about stuff that you left off the list. Yeah, so true. I think we could do this show 52 weeks a year. I mean, there are so many releases in 83 that were, were amazing and also very personal to us since, it, as, yeah. you, as you were saying, we're, we're kind of coming of age. So these are records, some of them I remember buying at in, the, in that year. So it's just, yeah. as Chris said, an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, and I think the personal aspect is definitely was a big part of it for me this time around as well. Just certain ones that, you know, for one reason or another loom so large for me. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the year in review itself. Rich, you're handling it this week. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to do the recap. And it was such an exciting time going into high school. I think we, all of us, met maybe freshman year. Really, this is when this little troop got together and formed. And maybe the reason we're actually, I'm sitting here talking about 1983 with headphones on in my garage <laughs> is because of 1983. <laughs> in a way. But um, yeah, we started, I think Beat Goes On might have started our DJ business at the end of 83. 84 maybe, but yeah. Eight, early 84. I think, I think you're right. Maybe the notion, it was maybe a sparkle in our eye then. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, the hormones were raging freshman year in high school. I remember in 
big, scary Needham High School up on the hill, going there from Newman. And, you know, I didn't really pay attention to a whole lot that was going on that year. But there was stuff going on in the world that year. And the Korean War ended in 1983. Jesus. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) That's a little surprising. Well, the last MASH episode happened in 1983. (laughs) And 125 million people, that's literally about half the country, watched the last episode of MASH in 1983. And we're going to match that tonight with this podcast. That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) A few decimal points off, probably. But um, But it won't be as sad. (laughs) It was kind of a Cold War-y time, 1983. I think Reagan was in office and started the Star Wars program in 1983. He also tried to prevent World War III by invading a Caribbean country, (laughs) Grenada. Day after aired. Speaking of Cold War, Mm -hmm. remember the day after? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that aired in 1983. And speaking of space, the Challenger's second successful voyage went up with the first woman in space. So Sally Ride. Sally Ride. That space program was looking pretty good for the time being. And (laughs) give it a couple of years. (laughs) It was a giant step for women, I think. That was a big deal. However, the first Hooters opened in Florida in 1983, <laughs> so it might be two steps. Yeah, the pendulum swings one way, then it swings the other. Two steps back. I think we call that a win-win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's about the news I have. No, moving on to TV wasn't, I didn't think, great, other than the end of MASH. Supposedly the death of sitcoms happened in 1983 with the end of MASH. What? If you watch the... Uh, Tell that and, to the Ropers. <laughs> Tell that to young Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Furley's having none of it. <laughs> uh, the popular shows were Dallas and Dynasty and Falcon Crest at the time in 1983. Quien es más macho? Fernando Lamas <laughs> or Ricardo Montalban? Simon and Simon, Magnum P.I., but Wheel of Fortune and the A-Team started in 1983. Excellent. Pitiful. So did Webster and the Joy of Painting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> movies. Very good year for movies. The critically acclaimed ones, in Terms of Endearment, which ended up winning Best Picture the next year, was 1983. The Right Stuff, Scarface, Silkwood, A Christmas Story, that lovable, quirky movie about a lamp <laughs> the leg. Leg lamp. <laughs> um, Big Chill came out in 1983. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorites from 1983, Vacation Ooh. came out. Meaning of Life, Ooh. The Outsiders, War Games. Nice. Stay Gold. Trading Places, Risky Business, Banner Year for Movies, I think. Um, and also Flashdance, which happened to be my first date that I went on. 1983. Yeah, nice. Who was that? And I don't remember who it was. <laughs> oh, my God. It was memorable. I can't remember. I remember. She was great. The movie, though. I prefer not to say. I remember. I remember. I think I remember. But um, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Memorable year, 1983. A lot going on. You got distracted by the uh, chair with the water pouring over her scene. That's all you can remember. Remember that Videodrome? Oh, yeah. Yes. Do you remember that weird classic? That came out... 1983, very creepy, odd movie. Cronenberg. Yes, James Woods. Then moving on to music, as we said at the top, lots of huge albums came out in 1983. Blue Monday came out in 1983. Still on the charts, right? It was released. And that is a pinnacle. That is a huge moment. Uh, Police Synchronicity, U2 War, Tears for Fears, The Hurting, The Fix, Reach the Beach, Talking Heads, Speaking in Tongues. There are just so many. We were talking earlier about Paul Young, maybe not the best album ever, but hit some hits. Two great songs, at least. Uh, Wham, Fantastic, came out. Huge album, 
1983. Club Tropicana. And Violent Femmes. Yeah. Can't remember that album that had all those college hits came on. And for me, I think I was listening quite a bit to Pink Floyd, The Final Cut. Mm-hmm. Came out in 1983. Well, I took a trip. Probably were too, Thomas. I was. Yeah, I was a big fan. I was loved that album. I I think I was just growing out of my Pink Floyd phase. I think that was the the cap. Yeah, me too. I think it was that was the final cut, as it were. It's Let's Dance too, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Dance. Yeah. I have to say though, the first concert I ever went to was Roger Waters and the Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking with Eric Clapton guesting on guitar. It was the first show, first show I ever went to. Yeah. Nice. So that was just after. You had that, I remember that t-shirt that you wore. Yep. Yep. I think, I think my brother still has it. (laughs) Sorry, Rich. No, just some other, uh, just random fun facts from 1983. Gallon of gas was $1.24. Wow. Stamp was 20 cents. Median income was 21,000 a year. These are all fun facts, remember. <laughs> Dow Jones was a, at 1,190 points. Huge, mm. huge. Today it's 34,000 or so. And the population was 234 million in the United States. That's 100 million less. We've gained 100 million souls in however long it's been. Well, not that many souls, but human beings definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, 1983 was a very uh, culturally rich year both personally, I think, and for the country. I think there's, we're kind of getting out of the Cold War and recognizing what bullshit it was. And for us as freshmen in high school, the world never looked brighter. I think it was a pretty exciting time. Agreed. Anyone have anything else to add on? Nope. 83, did I miss any key movies, albums? Let's get into the deep cuts. Yeah, let's get to it. Chris, you want to? Did I mention that I was class president at uh, Pollard? No. All right. Apparently you just did. Oh, 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 well, if you want me to talk about it. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I think we're already running long. <laughs> uh, I will kick things off with one of the biggest albums of the year that, that Rich mentioned, Synchronicity. And that was a concert that Bill and I went to at uh, what is now Schaefer Stadium. And um, open, it was a, like a full day concert. And um, the Fix and Flock Seagulls opened. And I remember buying a Flock of Seagulls, like tour book. Yes. Like a, like a zine, like a Flock I of rem- Seagulls zine. I remember that. And uh, I don't know why that's what I chose to buy. I mean, I also bought a police shirt, uh, which I kept for a while, which was sleeveless. Of course. Got to show the guns. Yeah, you got to show off the guns, when you're, especially when you're 14. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the song, I'm good. There's a lot of hits on this record, obviously. So you got to dig a little bit deeper to get fall into the Deep Cuts rubric. And so the song I'm going with is a real, in my case, in my opinion, a Stuart Copeland showcase. And it's the song, Oh My God. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 8, 1983 is the year. Oh, 
good. It's really, uh, it's it's a real. I'm I'm really surprised that this this song did not get released as a single. To be honest with you, I mean, I think the big singles from that record were, um, you know, Every Breath You Take and Synchronicity Two and King of Pain and Wrapped Around Your Finger. I'm just kind of surprised that this one wasn't in the mix. It seemed like it got edged out. Like if this was in Yada Mandata, I would imagine this would have been included as a single. You know, it was a little funky for the album. I love the fact that they use the, the sax on this one, and uh, and he reuses the uh, the line from uh, uh, every little thing she does is magic. You know, this, it's a big enough umbrella, but it's me always me that ends up getting wet. He even used that in a Sting song uh, later in his solo career. He loves that line, and it's a great line. He's great so choice. proud of it that he just keeps using it over <laughs> and over again. And shout out to Keith Nashawati, who uh, was my chaperone. This was my first concert. Uh, so this was amazing. Martha Quinn introduced the band. and uh, Yeah, Chris, I forgot as, about that. I think they flew uh, in on a helicopter, too. Yeah, it was just... Uh, Martha it, Quinn. My favorite band, my first concert. It was just perfect. Just perfect. Where was it? Uh, Schaefer Stadium, Foxborough Stadium, which later is... It's now Gillette, but um, it was just awesome. Flock, Fix, The Police. Couldn't have been better. And I'm such a fan of how that song closes with that little sort of... The sax just kind of fades away, disappears. There's something so nice about the non-fade, you know, just letting it be on its own. Well, Billy, do you want to take the next spot? Oh, me? Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, me? Uh, yes, sure, sure. So I really struggled with this one. It was overwhelming. I had so many uh, starts and stops, and I was hemming and hawing. And then I settled on a plan. I went with... Um, I'm going with two bands from Scotland tonight. Both, I think, very earnest bands, uh, very earnest singers, but two incredibly different sounds. But I think they both are unique and uh, authentic. And the first one I'm going with is Big Country. And this is from 1983's release, The Crossing, their debut record. This is uh, Stuart Adamson, who was with uh, the Skids, you know, sort of a post-punk band, and but they never would let him sing. So he, he started his own band. He grabbed Bruce Watson. So they had a twin guitar sound going. And then they grabbed uh, Pete Townsend's rhythm section, the Sly and Robbie of Soho, as they were called, uh, Tony Butler and Mark Brzezicki. He stole them from the uh, Empty Glass sessions. And together they made uh, Big Country. Just a great band. Obviously, everybody knows In a Big Country, you know, and in many ways they're known as like a one-hit wonder, but uh, they were so much more. And they were produced by Steve Lillywhite, who's amazing, who did, you know, Susie and XTC and Psych Furs. He's the Where's Waldo of like, every time you see a record, it's like Steve Lillywhite. He's unbelievable. In 83, he did this record, The Crossing. U2. He did U2's War. Yeah. And then the following year, he did Simple Mind, Sparkle in the Rain, which I have a feeling we'll talk about next week. Mm-hmm. This guy was just awesome. So without further ado, it is Big Country, 1,000 Stars.
I'll admit it's been probably 20 to 30 years since I've listened to Big Country, so this is a great reminder of like how great they are. They have yeah. such a big sound. Yeah. Love the drums. Huge. Yeah, the rhythm section's fantastic. Obviously, the yeah. guitar sound that they were asked a thousand times, like, how'd you make it sound like a bagpipe? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got they got really sick of that question. But, um, but what is that? Is it two guitars playing at the same time, or is it an effect? It's two guitars and an effect. This was a record that I bought in the summer of 83, so after eighth grade, before ninth grade. This is one of the first, quote-unquote, alternative records I ever bought with my own money at the Needham music center yeah so this was a really important record for me and uh i just think they're great and uh like i say they they have that one big song everybody knows it but there's so much more to them so i wanted to play that also the first records that you buy in a weird way i think is really important like right? I, I think once i started to have to like earn money to be able to buy records it was a big deal because you're really invested that it's going to be good and you know that's something like i said we mentioned this earlier like it is really hard for people who are listening to spotify to imagine not having access like you would not be able to listen to these records without having to go to the record store and buy them and then bring them home and go through all the process that comes with that so these records i think for us we were invested in them in a way that's really unique yeah think about how much literally. time you spent with with an album sleeve too like in right. the cover and I mean, you really, you know, if the album's 45 minutes long, you had at least 45 minutes to just dissect the shit out of that cover. It was more than just a listening experience. It was a visual and reading the lyrics and all that stuff. Absolutely true. Well, I'm up next. I got a question. Am I stealing a The The song away from anybody that really, really... No, do it. Do it. No, we just demand that it be addressed. All of us wanted to play Soul Mining. I'm glad someone is. I'm so glad. Yeah. I also I feel like to. the laws of Darwin should be imposed on this show and just... If you're up next and you want it, you should just fucking take it. Gosh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Ruthless. Ruthless. <laughs> Got the reptile over here. Don't ask for, ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's my theory. Well, I asked for your forgiveness. And I'm not going to play the song, which I kind of really wanted to play, which is Giant. I'm going to play a different song from the record. This record, I think, was incredibly important to all of us. And I think we have to give you know respect for Rich for being able to introduce the band to us. True. One of the things that reminds me when I went back to listen to this record is how important it was to us because Matt Johnson was 20 years old when he was recording this record, which was in the spring of 82. It got released in 83. And when you think about a 20-year-old writing the lyrics that are on this record, also how incredibly innovative the record is because it is produced like nothing else. It's almost like a dance record. It's coming from a, a world that is really unusual and really unique. It was made very much through an Akai that Matt Johnson had bought and basically started using as a sampler. He had started the record by going to New York. He was signed to London Records, or I should say he was signed to Some Bizarre, which was a record label this very unique dude named Steve-O was running. Steve-O convinced London Records to pay to have him go to New York to record Uncertain Smile, which was an early demo with a producer named Mike Thorne. And they put together an incredible song, but it wasn't quite as magical as it could be. So he returned to London, and then CBS Records decided that they wanted to muscle in. So he dropped... London Records, moved on to CBS, scrapped all the recordings that he had done, which was essentially two demos in New York, and started over again, largely with this Akai sampler, and then work with other people. And one of the nice things about Some Bizarre is a community. There was a lot of interesting bands that were tied to it. Soft Cell was part of Some Bizarre. Psychic TV was part of Some Bizarre. Cabaret Voltaire, Jim Thurwell, Einschutzen and Neubaut, and Test Department. It was a very interesting community of people that were all part of that. And they're pretty experimental. So if you mention those names, they're all pretty experimental bands. And I think Matt Johnson has a very kind of 
commercial sensibility, but I think he's attracted to more avant-garde music. And this record, to me, captures that. The guest performers on there are kind of amazing. Zeke Manika is on this record. He was from the band Orange Juice. Thomas Lair is on here. And there's a, a piano solo by Jules Holland on Uncertain Smile, which is one of the great piano solos of all time. We're not going to play that. That's a hit. Love it. So I'm going to play instead a song, which I just want to kind of think about the storytelling of this and about a 20-year-old writing this. The song is called The Twilight Hour. It is The The, Matt Johnson's project. The album is Soul Mining. came out in 1983. This is Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 8. Hope you enjoy it. this song just because it's so transportive and it's such great storytelling and you think about this neurotic 
you know, nervous guy. Like the next line that comes up, you've decided not to tell your little joke. Like it's way past the hour. She usually phones. It's like this, all this nervous energy. And you just imagine how much, and as a teenager, when we're kind of figuring out what is it, like what could we build when we're 20 years old to build something that feels so connected to us and so to our experiences and at the same time so innovative was so exciting to me. So I, I'm so happy to, this record exists. Absolutely. I can see the walls of my bedroom when I listen to this. <laughs> and as you said, Rich, Rich really gets the credit for this because he brought uh, this album to Needham. And uh, I know we were all passing around the cassette and recording uh, this record and uh, yeah, just, just amazing. Really, really amazing. It was also one of those records that for a long time, when we would go to use record stores, I, I sort of felt like I had to buy it even whenever I saw it. You know what I mean? I think I ended yes. up having like three or four copies of it for no good reason, just because it felt like so precious mm-hmm. that... Um, well, there were the versions with Perfect and without. Right. There were the Fela Cootie's Wife covers, and then there was the Matt Johnson covers. Right, right. Um, does anybody remember the the t-shirt I had of the uh, Andy dog? Yeah, of his, uh, the portrait of him in the bedroom, right? Yeah. Well, I, I had one with the devil... Um, pleasuring himself oh my that was from dusk wasn't it it was from infected infected okay yeah my mom was not a fan of the (laughs) devil ejaculating uh, on my t-shirt. Demon seed all over your t-shirt. <laughs> Let's just yeah, say. I can't imagine why she wouldn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that wasn't very popular in my house. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is just one of those, I think this is one of those records that like just hit all of us in a sweet spot. Yes. And it really holds <laughs> up. Like I, I've listened to the record from beginning to end and there's literally not a song on the album. I would not have been proud to play tonight. And that's just such a unique and special thing. Perfect record. Yeah. For the first time, I took guitar lessons. I went into the guy and I said, I handed him uncertain smile and I said, <laughs> teach me how to play this. And that was the first thing I learned how to play on guitar was that. Nice. Was the sort of opening yeah. guitar strum and picking to that song. Derek also does a great air piano to the Jules Holland. I do. I can do the entire Jules Holland solo. Note to note. Well, you can actually take us forward. So where would you like to take us, Derek? All right. So I'm going to really get super sappy on (laughs) y'all. I had to choose a song from Tears for Fears' album, The Hurting, because for me, it's kind of the musical landmark to the beginning of our friendship. I think maybe I got it from Chris. I'm not entirely sure. I think I did. And, you know, I came into high school kind of jockey kind of dissatisfied. And I think it wasn't until maybe my sophomore year that I started hanging out with you guys. And I think going to a Tears for Fears concert, while it wasn't the hurting, it was, you know, probably songs from the big chair, was kind of the beginning of things for me, hanging out with you guys. And, you know, really opened my world up in a way that I really needed. And wasn't just musical, it was intellectual, it was just looking at the world in a way I hadn't been before. And also just having just friendships that were more supportive in a way that I don't know if I had experienced before. So it was a real sea change in my life. And I always connect this record to the kind of beginning of that. And it's, I just could not play a song. And there's really, you know, I could have I love, I like this whole record. And it's also just the beginning of uh, that relationship with music where I realized that it was great to love sad music and that 
processing pain and making it into art is ultimately an act of hope. And that's why I love stuff like this and stuff like a lot of the music that we listen to and, and still play. I don't know, but this is uh, Suffer the Children from Tears for Fears from their album, The Hurting. It's Deep Cuts. goes right back to that reminder of like what great songwriters Tears for Fears were like the production almost doesn't matter like if this is a rock tune it would be amazing if it was a dance tune it'd be amazing it's just a great great written song fantastic absolutely Derek I'm glad that you got into Tears for Fears rather than Gowan after that first concert <laughs> uh, because Gowan Larry Gowan or Lawrence Gowan I don't know how he liked to call himself but he opened up for Tears for Fears on that show and you could have gone the other way yeah I don't think I remember <laughs> Gowan from that night frankly 
Although I think my mother gave us a ride to the show. To the Orpheum. I believe so. And I, she could not have been happier to have you bunch of dorks in the backseat <laughs> <laughs> talking about, you know, arguing about grammar or something. She was like, yes. That wasn't me. That that was Nash. That was Nash. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but she was very happy. It reminds me of way I just pulled the vinyl out, but like it has all the lyrics, right? And in a weird way, it's like poetry, right? Because when you buy a record like that, you really sit down and you read the lyrics and you follow the lyrics along and it becomes part of the experience of listening to a record, which again is not a Spotify experience, generally speaking. And it's something very nice about these things is that they become personal experiences like both the the, the record we just played and, and Tears for Fears. These are records that really are very personal and the lyrics are very carefully thought through. And I think for those of us who really responded to them, they spoke to us very individually. And it's nice to know that the vinyl format was so encouraging of reading the lyrics and paying attention and going deeper into the experience. Rich, where do you want to take us? I'm going to take us to another band that I think like Tears for Fears, that album, I don't know what it was that brought us all together, but Tears for Fears, The Hurting is one of those moments where I, I think back as well that that was one of the big albums we're all talking about. And I don't know what ended up gelling us all together. Maybe it was Bill's lewd t-shirt of Devil's Jerking <laughs> Off. But I, Tears for Fears no. was definitely up there. This album that I picked, I'm going to pick a Depeche Mode song from Construction Time again. I think this was a year that Depeche Mode found themselves. They found Alan Wilder. I think that changed the course of the band. And, you know, they had Get the Balance Right in 83 that wasn't really on an album until, you know, they created some compilations for the American market a year or two later for Get the Balance Right, which was just an awesome. Love that song. Still love it. And Everything Counts. Those are similar to The Hurting. Those are kind of the, the songs that I think about uh, in these in freshman year high school, 83, 84. But yeah, I'm not going to drag on too long, but uh, yeah, I think it's, this song was pretty easy pick for me after, I'm glad that that got picked, but this was a very easy pick for me. This is, Alan Wilder actually wrote this song. He wrote two songs on this album and uh, taking Depeche in a new, more successful direction, I think after Speak and Spell and was it Silent Frame? Broken Frame. Broken Frame, sorry. Yeah, anyway, uh, this is Two Minute Warning, but Depeche Mode. It's Deep Cuts.
is so important about Depeche Mode for us is that where we talk about punk when we were doing 1977 and about how like that was music that spoke to everybody who was like responding to the bloated world of I guess it would be like rock back in those days and that just felt like it was lean and mean and honest and it had integrity I feel like in a way synth pop did that for us it was like our music this was not what was popular really and the more avant-garde it sounded and Depeche Mode sounded avant-garde when they came out if you think about it, like, you know, if you knew Kraftwerk, you could say maybe they're a little bit more pop than Kraftwerk, but they're not far off from it. And to me, like, one of the things that was exciting about it was that it felt like our music somehow. Yeah, I feel like Depeche Mode, like, this is the first album that really holds up for me. The first two records feel very sort of like Casio tone, cheesy, synthy, tinny. Kind of thin. Me. Thin, yeah. Really thin, like skim milk thin. And this feels like like it's got some meat on its bones a little bit, this record. So yeah, I think this is a real turning point for them. And I love that song. Yeah, great pick. Great pick. Absolutely. More Depeche all the time. All right, so uh, let's see. Let's move on now. The next person up is going to be Chris, right? You're up now? Is it already? Jeez, look at that. Um, well, I've been strong-armed into picking this next song a little bit. <laughs> strong-armed? Wow. I'm kidding. Uh, I haven't. This was this was totally an autonomous pick. Um, <laughs> so this is from Script of the Bridge, Chameleons, uh, which is their debut album, actually. Yes. It's interesting. When I was reading about it a little bit, there was one British music critic who heard this album and in his review wrote that it sounded like a greatest hits album. And it really does. That's a weird thing to say about a band's first album. But it is really that stacked wall to wall with just really memorable songs. So there are a lot of songs I could have played off this record, but the one that I chose is Monkey Land. So uh, Thomas, take it away. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 8, 1983 is the year. The 
Talk about what makes this band so unbelievably special because I think we mentioned the the as a band that we all responded to very powerfully. I think the Camille, and again, probably all these bands in some way, but I think that this was also a band that really hit us uniquely. I didn't know many other people that loved the Chameleons like we did. As a hive mind, I think to this band, unless I'm wrong, have they held up? Do other people know about them? Like, do you feel like your friends that from college and your your friends now know this band? There's there's some people. I mean, yeah, some of my friends from my undergrad days were huge. 
Chameleons fans, but they were sensitive souls like we were as well. <laughs> Definitely underappreciated, though, Tom, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. A band that uh, deserves much more praise than they ever received. Yeah. yeah. They had like a kind of a lushness and kind of a density. And I think they were first one of these bands that used these guitar effects in a way that I hadn't really heard before. They kind of created almost sort of this wall of sound, sort of updated wall of sound that I really responded to. And it, just, it was great headphone record stuff in those high school listening days. Yeah, and I think they were also a band where we went back. I think we all probably first heard Strange Times, uh, Times. Strange Times and then went back to this. And like, it's rare that you go back and find something that you like even more than the album that just blew your mind. Right, right. Although, I don't know, who's to say, I'm not going to decide which one of those are better records. I love them both for different reasons. Yeah, but the, the three records to me, all, all three of the Chameleons records, and it's probably more actually than the three, but the three of the 80s that we know the most, I think what was so nice about it was exactly what you described. We went back into those records and we listened to them with unique experiences each time because we're now invested in what those experiences are like. And like I was thinking earlier about Opposition, right, which was a band that we were talking about. I'm not sure if we'll get a chance to hear them tonight, but that was a band. And I forgot the context. I remember hearing and finding them when I was in France when I was a little kid. I was like 17, I guess, whatever the year was. You brought them back to Needham. Okay. I was actually wondering, I was, is that the one band I can credit? Absolutely you. <laughs> Patient zero on that one. I was going to discuss this later, but go ahead. We can do it now. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they changed as much as the chameleons did, but I do think that they had such specific atmospheres. And what I love about absolutely the way you feel emotionally when you listen to a chameleons record is kind of how you feel like when you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the authenticity of the emotion and the clarity of the emotion is so powerful and they weren't making hits like if you think about it Swamp Thing is the closest thing to a hit for the chameleons and that is not like a pop song mm -hmm. like it's darker than How Soon Is Now by the Smiths if you think about it as far as weird songs to become singles mm -hmm. and there's something so unique to me about that experience for a kid to hear it. And I think we just got it at just the right time. It was a sweet spot. For sure. 100%. Well, let's move forward. So, Billy, where do you want to take us? Okay. Like I said, I'm playing bands from Scotland. So, I'm moving on to uh, Glasgow, and I'm going with Blue Nile from their debut, A Walk Across the Rooftops. And I'm not choosing the hit, for lack of a better word, which was Stay. Stay is not a particularly representative song of the band. They really like to explore the space, as uh, Bruce Dickinson would say, <laughs> or rather uh, Christopher Walken doing Bruce Dickinson. Uh, <laughs> the, these guys, these guys obsessed, were obsessed with the details, were very patient, was a vocalist, a bassist, and a keyboardist. This is a band without a guitarist, without a drummer. Lynn Records signed them for their first record and was more interested in just getting something to, you know, advertise their recording system and their hi-fi than uh, anything else. They were not the most prodigious band in their 21 years. They put out uh, just four records. The first one was 83. We had a big debate about this, whether it was 83 or 84. Tom and I both found our record versions and it says 83, so I'm including it in 83. But then their next record was six years later, and then after that it was seven years later, and then their final album was eight years later. Paul Buchanan famously said, wouldn't you say there's a, a strong case for putting out less material, not more? I think he's right. These guys definitely prove the adage, less is more. This is... Um, rags to riches and i just think there's an emotional warmth to this song and uh, paul buchanan is just an incredible vocalist he's so genuine and sincere so this is rags to riches the blue nut <laughs> 
fences and tumble down bridges Surround and divide I wear a coat of many colors Of many colors The sticks and the stones Are broken promises I wait no longer To go from rags to riches to hear his voice man paul buchanan's voice it's just so emotional and the atmosphere i mean we talk, we're gonna talk about talk talk soon but like to me yeah this is a band that prefab sprout talk talk you know the blue now they all seem to be part of a special kind of a movement every note every sound counts this album has only seven songs <laughs> it's the opposite of what we were talking about with 77 where some bands were putting out two albums a year these guys were <laughs> the polar opposite of that and when it's this good, fine. Take the time. If you can bring this sort of emotional impact, seven songs is fine. Yeah. Yeah, especially when one of them is Tinseltown in the Rain. Yeah. Oh, oh Tinseltown. Such a good song. One of my all-time favorites, absolutely. But it's funny, that little synth part and running throughout just kept reminding me of Bubba O'Reilly, too, though. Mm. Could, oh, interesting. You know, it had that same, you know, the way that... Yeah, yeah. It's probably a Lynn keyboard that was creating that other sound. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it maybe has something to do with the same kind of technology or synthesizer that they were using at the time. That's an interesting point. For a band that was almost entirely synthetic, they have an incredible emotional impact. I mean, if anyone can make me cry, it's Paul Buchanan. His voice is just so sincere. I love it. Well, you're affecting my next choice again. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, did, I didn't mean to do that. You going to bring us down, Tom? I keep doing this. No, I, I well, maybe. <laughs> or are you going to perk us back up? I don't know if I'm going to perk you back up, but let's see. How does this affect your choice? In what way? Well, I feel like uh, there's Where a, were you going to go? I was going to go with some Tom Waits. Uh-huh. Because, you know, Swordfish Trombone came out in 1983. Yeah, yeah. And that record was for 
for me like a bomb going off in my head where like okay. I think I got to do that actually because no offense what, to the one. So what was it you were thinking of or changing to? I was gonna play Ryuki Sakamoto's uh, Father Christmas from Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence which is a soundtrack album yep, yep. and was I think my introduction to marijuana because I know I smoked a lot of the first time I ever smoked weed <laughs> I basically and Derek I think you were the one that did this for me thank you very much <laughs> wait a second there's, there's a statute of limitations here <laughs> maybe his mom's not so happy about giving that ride anymore yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I listened to Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence over and over again and it was my writing record it was the record that I used to write to and I felt like I was becoming and evolving as a, a person who liked to write which means I'm going to actually play it so this is Father Christmas wow you've oh. really gone back and forth I know I really have it happened in real time ladies and gentlemen I know and they're both so good so it's really kind of hard I'm going to go back and play David Sylvia I can hear the cogs turning <laughs> Smoke coming out of his ears. Literally, Derek. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right. So it's Deep Cuts Lost and Found Round A. Swordfish Trombone is the record. Swordfish Trombone is the song. Wait, wait, wait. You just said you're going to go with Father Christmas. (laughs) Challenge. (laughs) Do you even know what song you're playing? I shifted it up. No, I have absolutely no idea. Let's just hope it goes well. Do you want to take a moment? I might have to. It's Tom Waits. It's Swordfish Trombones. It's Deep Cuts Lost and Found Round 8, 1983. I hope you like it.
head in a boxcar going by. I just listened to this record over and over and over and over again. And it was the opposite in many ways of the other stuff that we're listening to, because this was like, it's marimba and it's like weird instruments. It's like a, it's Tom Waits and it's just very unique. His first album he uh, produced himself, which I think is interesting, after doing eight records, seven records before this one. And he used really unique instruments on it. He's got really interesting players. He had just met his future wife, Kathleen Brennan, who I think really helped him changed the way he approached music. He had just done music in a, a film that he sort of started, and one from the heart, for a Francis Ford Coppola film. And he met a script analyst on that film, and that was his wife, Kathleen Brennan. And she made him look at his music differently. And he suddenly started pursuing people like Harry Parch, who was a really interesting classical, modern classical composer, and followed that work. And that's really abstract and interesting and organic. And he was following like circus themes and all sorts of cool stuff. And I feel like Tom Waits really evolved as an artist with this record. It came out in 1983. And I just really love it. I hope you guys like it too. It's funny that you said that about his wife and her influence on his music. I was just thinking like at this, that particular song, it's so cinematic. It creates such many visual images in my head as I listen to it. It creates such a specific mood and so many pictures. It's kind of interesting that whether he was thinking about film and images in a different way when he, he was writing this. Yeah, I feel like there's, there's a line that I just heard it for the first time in a while. He got 20 years for loving her from some Oklahoma governor. And it's just like he tells these stories. They're so <laughs> beautiful and succinct and gorgeous. And the instrumentation is like raw and simple and it's eccentric and it's weird. And yeah. I don't know. It's like when you're a kid and you feel like you want to hear something different and you hear something like this, you're like, oh, I guess something you need to follow. Yeah, what is an obituary mambo? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> this is not a young man's record, though. This is very mature for you, Tommy. I don't know. I think it was like there's certain, like, I think The Fall was another one of those bands that, like, yeah, hit yeah. me and knocked me to the side. And I didn't even know what to make of them, but I felt like I just like the way they do poetry, you know? Uh, oh, it's a great choice. It's nice. And I think also we're talking about writing and like one of the things that was so nice was like, I was really enjoying writing. Like Chris, you're a professional writer. I think I dreamed to be a professional writer at this point in my life. And I feel like these were the records that made me feel a sense of confidence about where you can take it and what you can do with it and do it with music that you love. And it's such a special album. Let's uh, move forward. Derek, where do you want to take us? So... Before Al Jorgensen looked like uh, an extra from Mad Max Fury Road on a lunch break. Um, oh, well done. Thank you, thank you. I've been workshopping that one a week. Um, I've been trying it out at the clubs. <laughs> you know, he made like a very funky, a very synth poppy, very pretty record called uh, With Sympathy. It's almost, for me, there's almost a disconnect between what Ministry became and this record. It just seems to sort of stand alone in their repertoire. I remember seeing them years and years later at um, the now disappeared Channel Nightclub in Boston. There was a chain link fence, like, across the entire front of the stage because they had such this sense of menace and portent. You know, it was 
Yet it was unclear whether this fence was to protect them from us or us from them. <laughs> and yeah, and having gone through that show, I'm still not sure which it was. I believe the lyrics to So What begin with die, die, die. Yeah. With, uh, exclamation marks. But you know, this is such a funky kind of silly record and sometimes. But I remember this record well, and I still pull it out every once in a while. And I love it. It's great. And I don't know, I mean, for certain ministry fans in the 80s, what have you, this is not a super deep cut, but I don't know. This is the song Effigy, I'm in parentheses, I'm nada, from Ministry, from their album with Sympathy. It's Deep Cuts. This is like the dark part of a branding exercise, you know? <laughs> it would make me so happy if we made this song popular again because Alan Jorgensen would be so upset about it. Yeah. He's not angry, though. <laughs> Famous last words. I'm not angry. You became kind of angry, dude. 
<laughs> and honestly, like, even though I love this record too, and I'm so happy that we're hearing it, like, I kind of got into them a little bit after, like, you know, Every Day is Halloween. That was a little on the corny side. And then they took a couple steps. Stigmata. Yes. And they went to, like, you know, the land of rape and honey and, like, lovely phrases like that. And you're just like, oh, Jesus. Right. But they were really pure experiences to their credit. Like, they were full records. You mentioned Palehead. Yeah. You know, all the side projects were kind of great too. Revolting Cox was kind of an amazing project. They all had their moments. So, Al Jurgensen's been in the middle of cool shit more than once, oh, yeah. including early in his career with this song. There's no need to disown his early synth pop. Derek, though, is the surprise uh, apostle yeah. of early Al Jorgensen. Oh, really? You guys didn't like this record? At all. I love this record. At all. No, I have this record. <laughs> I love this record, but you? Nope. I don't see either this or uh, Husker Du. Didn't uh, but... see it coming. Yeah, I thought maybe Husker Du's Plenty of time for Husker du. Metal Circus, but this did not see it coming. <laughs> I love the surprises. Yeah, that, that was a nice surprise. That's my favorite part. All right, Rich, <laughs> how would you like to dazzle us? I like ministry as much as the next guy <laughs> and clove cigarettes. <laughs> All healthy choices. That's a low blow, dude. I'm going to pick the Smiths. This is their first song. Is this where we all challenge Rich for not doing a deep cut? Bring it on. Challenge! No, do it. I love it. 1983, the first single that was released by the Smiths, by the duo of Marr and Morrissey, like Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Captain and Sunil, uh, Hand in Glove is the first single. What can you say about these guys? I'm not going to be able to say very much to give them any credit, but the rawness and the, the poetic rawness, I guess, of the lyrics and the honesty that Morrissey brings is probably, you know, more than the jangly guitars, the lyrics are really probably what makes the Smiths stand out among their top five bands for me from the 80s. So I, I just had to go with it. I was debating so many other bands, but then I saw this and I just I had to pick it. This is Hand in Glove. By the Smiths. It's Deep Cuts.
I like how we throw in the uh, the harmonic at the end just for the hell of it. Man. 125th on the UK singles charts in 1983. Challenge. I don't know. I think you're making the case for why it's not a deep cut. Yeah, I know. It's an incredible cut. I just don't know that it's deep. Yeah. Well, I guess the real question is whether between uh, Morrissey and Johnny Lydon, who's kind of the most disappointing aging icon, yeah. being like a real kind of boomer asshole. I will yeah. remember them as they <laughs> were. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> well, you guys have really uh, evoked a lot of uh, high school feelings. Yeah, this was a good year for sure. Yeah. I think that that man. came across, hopefully. Um, I guess it's man. time to vote, right? Yeah. Can you is. remind us what, is uh, it that time? what was played? Yes, absolutely. Let's go through it. So, Chris, you opened this up with The Police, Oh My God, from the album Synchronicity. Billy followed up with Big Country and A Thousand Stars from The Crossing. I played the, the, uh, the Twilight Hour from the album Soul Mining. Derek followed up with Tears for Fears, Suffer the Children from The Hurting. Rich came in with Depeche Mode and Two Minute Warning from Construction Time Again. Chris came in with The Chameleon's Monkey Land from Script of the Bridge, their debut. Billy came in with The Blue Nile from Rags to Riches from their album, Walk Across the Rooftop, which I think is also a debut. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, is it just Rich now or did I miss somebody? No, Derek, I'm sorry. Derek, what did you just drop? I just realized I didn't scribble Ministry. down. Ministry. which was just an amazing... Effigy. Totally, Effigy from their album With Sympathy, an album that is just kind of like so wonderfully different from everything else that they did. And then we closed it out there with The Smiths and um, Handing Glove. So you guys already? I could vote for any of these. I, I, there are no, there are no, no losers. I really don't know what to choose. Uh, All right, we got to do fuck. it. Three. Oh, yeah, All right. I, I need a minute. I need a minute. Uh, okay, hold on. Got it up. Got it up. All right, ready, One, set, go. One, two, three. Uh, looks like Derek oh, won. Looks like I pulled it out. Well, and actually, you and me both, because uh, we got the the and swordfish trombone. Oh yes. And Derek, you got ministry, so it's you and me ministry. Well, actually, no, you win it because you got two ministries. This happened last yeah. week. It's we yours. give it to the person who gets the, the most for this specific song. Right. If it's a tie, but well, I'll take it. But totally. hockey claps all around. Tie goes to the um, runner. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Derek Brain will be uh, taking us out on Patreon, so he'll be the leadoff hitter on our bonus cut. So those of you who are interested... He'll be playing more synth-pop hits <laughs> in the bonus round. That's right. We're doing one more round of options on the Patreon page. Billy, let's talk about social media. How can you find us? Well, we can talk about social media, but let's do further listening first. Oh, yeah, right. Further listening. Let's so do it. All right. I'll jump right in, um, and I'm just going to follow right up on what Tom was talking about with opposition. Tom brought opposition back to us. I don't know if it was 85 or sometime around then. He brought this record back. I thought it was a Croatian band, but it was an English band, and it was the opposition. He brought back the album Intimacy. I nearly played a song from them tonight. Just a great band, very much in the vein of the Chameleons. They um, had a couple albums after that, one of which was Promises, which is a great album, which features a song that could be... I think played. it will make an appearance. I think it will make an appearance. Yeah. So I think we might uh, have to fight over who makes that appearance. Yes. Uh. yes. <laughs> Let's not be petty about it, Chris. Um, but the Opposition, check out The Opposition. Their first two records, Intimacy and Promises, excellent records. So great. I will follow up with the soundtrack to Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which I did not play. Ryuki Sakamoto, he basically, it's a very unique Japanese filmmaker who put the film out. He decided he wanted to have some rock stars in it, so he had David Bowie playing a sort 
sort of a British general. And he had Ryuki Sakamoto playing the Japanese general in a Japanese war camp in Java, I think. It's a very unusual score. David Sylvian guested on a, a beautiful track to close out the song over the titles that Ryuki Sakamoto wrote. It's an electronic record. It's a very unique one, and I think it's great. So that's uh, the soundtrack to uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence by Ryuki Sakamoto. All right, I think I'm next, and I'm going to go with Porcupine by Echo and the Bunnymen. Here, I almost, here. I almost played Heads Will Roll tonight, but did not. It's their third record. It's got Never Stop as a bonus track on sort of the uh, reissued version of it, so I would suggest that version of it. And just a great album all around. Will Sargent at his best, you know, probably one of my two or three favorite sort of like alt rock guitarists. And um, yeah, so that, that would be mine, my pick. Perfect. Rich. I recommend the odd collaboration with Robert Smith and Steve Severin from Susie and the Banshees, uh, The Glove. Yes. Which is a reference to Yellow Submarine, the big blue floating glove. I think it was the meanest of the blue meanies <laughs> in the Yellow Submarine album. Is it Blue Sunshine? Is that the record? The record is Blue Sunshine, which references a type of LSD that was <laughs> kind of popular or actually kind of a dangerous LSD, I think, that was going around. Infamous. And... Uh, Robert Smith and Steve Severin were doing this as a break, I think, from their stressful other bands at the time. Um, mm -hmm. But it is, you should check it out. It is a bizarre album. I almost played a track from it. Robert Smith wasn't technically allowed to sing on the album for a contract, but he did end up singing on a couple of the tracks. So check it out. Nice. nice. And Derek, what's your suggestion? I'm going to recommend the Huskerdu EP Metal Circus. It's got some great stuff on there. It's not funny anymore, out on a limb, but uh, it's got the song Diane on it, which is such a great but super creepy song that you feel kind of gross <laughs> about while you're listening to it because it seems to be about some serial killer. Grant Hart, a Grant Hart song, right? Yeah, it is a dark song, but uh, I've always liked that song. Of course you would. But yeah, Metal Circus by Who's Credit? As a ministry fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's talk social media. So where can you find us? Social media. Okay, check us out on Twitter, Deep Cuts Lost and Found, and also Patreon. Search for the same thing, Deep Cuts Lost and Found. Excellent. So on behalf of Derek Brain, Rich Air, Chris Nashawadi, Bill Federko, and myself, Thomas Golubich, you've been listening to Deep Cuts Lost and Found, round eight. The year is 1983. I think as Bill mentioned earlier, we could have done five of these in a row and still not ran out of options. So it's a great year. I hope you enjoyed the further list listening. Catch y'all on Patreon and we'll catch you all next week when we tackle 1984. Peace out.